Let's begin our sermon tonight in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Let's notice verses 13 through 18. Ephesians 2, 13 through 18. Paul wrote saying, But now in Christ Jesus ye who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were far off unto them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. The cross is the foundational structure of the church. And it is the main or essential feature of Christianity. We see it in a lot of places, don't we? We go to a lot of places, we travel around, we can see the cross. Maybe not so much now, but at least in a time past, the cross was prevailing across the countryside. We would see it on buildings. We would see it hanging around the necks of people, dangling from their ears, and a whole lot of other places. We would see the cross. And since we see it in so many places, it must mean something. It must have some importance and some relevance to it, or else it would not be popular. And even those who are uh, not necessarily religiously minded, understand the importance of the cross. They understand its meaning to certain people. Since the cross is so special, and since it is the centerpiece of Christianity, it is special for a reason. And that reason is that it gave the people of the world something. It gave them something. I believe if we're going to properly understand the uh, the cross and what it means to each of us as individuals, I believe we have to understand exactly what it gave us individually and collectively. The title of the sermon tonight is The Gifts of the Cross. The first gift we're going to notice tonight, the gift of the cross, one of them is that it gave us a stipulation. That's our first point. It gave us a stipulation. Now, stipulation means a condition, a requirement, or item specified in a legal instrument. When Paul made the statement recorded for us that we just read in Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 18, he was repeating a stipulation made by the Lord. He stipulated that the old law would be taken out, taken away, removed from the position which it held for so long, and it would be replaced something else would take the place of the old law. The writer of Hebrews said this, Hebrews 7 verse 12, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change of the law. When we consider the Levitical priesthood, the Levitical priesthood finds its place only in the old law. And if it were able to do the things that were necessary 
why would it be replaced? Why take the Levitical priesthood out of the way and establish a priesthood, a high priesthood, after the order of Melchizedek instead of after the order of Aaron? Because that was the stipulation, wasn't it? It was agreed upon among the Godhead that the old law would be removed. But what did he mean about uh, this word perfection? He meant completeness, didn't he, as we would use it today. There was no way a person could come, become complete under the old law. The old law was perfect. God doesn't, doesn't create anything that is not perfect. But it was perfect in what it was intended to accomplish. It was never intended to bring salvation to the masses, to bring salvation to anyone. Oh, were the people who lived under the law of Moses, were they obligated to obey the law of Moses? Absolutely they were. What about the ones under the patriarchal law? The patriarchal law was no less of a law than the law of Moses. It was perfect in for what it was designed to accomplish. But it was not designed to accomplish to accomplish salvation. And so it could not make mankind complete. The purpose of the old law, simply stated, is for people to understand the severity of sin. That was the whole purpose of the old law. There are repercussions to sin. Notice what Paul said in Romans 7, beginning with verse 5. <clears throat> for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Paul learned the consequences of sin and just how bad sin was because it was taught in the law. When the law said thou shalt not covet, there were repercussions to it. When the law said thou shalt do no murder, there were repercussions to it. When the law said do not steal or do not do uh, this or that, don't, don't perform frivolous acts of labor on the Sabbath day, there were repercussions because that's what was stated in the law. But the law cannot save you alone. There has to be something additional to a law. A law simply is punishment. It tells you the, the, the consequence for breaking the law. It doesn't tell you anything beyond that. The law of the, the speed limit being 40 miles an hour here uh, on Hicks and Pike. Well, the law is 40. You break the law, this is what you get. It doesn't tell you anything beyond that. And that's the way the old, wall, uh, the old law was. Now, we understand why God gave the old law. But since it could not forgive sin, something had to take its place. It had to be removed. Paul declared this, Colossians 2.14. When we speak to people who uh, are Sabbatarians, it's very important that we understand some of these passages to understand the law has been taken away. Paul declared this, he said, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, Colossians 2.14. <clears throat> when you study with someone who's a Sabbatarian, one of the very first things they want to say is the ceremonial law was taken away. There were two laws. Well, there was never two laws. 
there was one law, and within that one law, you had the ceremonial and you had the ordinances. Now, they want to follow the ordinances. But Paul clearly stated in Colossians 2 that the, uh, the, the old law was blotted out, taking the ordinances away. <clears throat> we don't live under not one single Old Testament teaching or law. Someone says, well, we're still not supposed to covet today. Absolutely. Someone says, we're not supposed to, to commit murder today. Absolutely. But those things are taught under the new law. We can read Romans chapter 13 and we see a whole list of those things that were formerly known as Ten Commandments and now they are New Testament commandments. Every single Old Testament commandment except for the Sabbath day, to keep the Sabbath day, was, was taught in the New Testament. And it became a New Testament law. To, to keep the Sabbath day, to make sure we keep it holy, never taught in the New Law. Acts 20 verse 7, we understand that we meet on the first day of the week. Well, there is no such thing as a Christian Sabbath day. There is a Christian first day of the week and we meet on the first day of the week and honor God. That's what the cross, the blood of Jesus, gave us. It gave us a stipulation. It removed the old law. But since the old law was removed, we needed something else. Our covenant needed to be renewed. And so that's exactly what happened. Again, notice what the writer of Hebrews stated. Hebrews 9, beginning with verse 15. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, of course, speaking of Jesus, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator lives. I can write a, uh, my wife and I, we can put together a will, not worth the paper it's written on unless we're dead. Right? That's the way a will works. That's the way a covenant works. It's uh, As long as the testator is alive, it can be changed at any moment. But just as soon as the testator dies, it is in, uh, it's written in stone. It cannot be changed. And <clears throat> it's never the case that a person has two wills, right? When a person dies... The last will they made is the will that is in effect. And before Christ died, He brought the new covenant to the world. If not for the cross, we would not have the New Testament. If not for the cross, we would not have the church. If not for the cross, we would have no means by which we could be complete in the eyes of God. Without the cross, we could never stand justified in the eyes of God. People living under the Old Testament stood justified in the, in the eyes of God on their account of righteousness. It was put on their account. <clears throat> Had Christ never come into the world, Abraham could not have been saved. Had Christ not come into the world, Moses could not have been saved. Without Christ coming into the world, we could not be saved. The cross gave us the means by which we can be in the very presence of God, standing justified in His sight by the renewing of His of His covenant to all the people of the world. The cross gave us the gift of stipulation. 
but it also gave us the gift of sanctification. Sanctification means this, to make holy, to separate from profane things and dedicated to God. In other words, we are to be divided. Now, we're not to be divided from each other. We are to be divided from the world. See, the religious world has gotten it all wrong. There are so many factions and denominations in the world that uh, we can't even keep track of them. The very first denominations we read about is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, Paul writes a letter and he said, I hear there are divisions among you. Some of you say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. He said, did Paul die for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? He said, absolutely not. See, that was the very beginning of denominationalism, divisions, calling themselves after the name of a person. Of course, those who called themselves after Christ were doing the right things. So I think it's clear to us that Paul intended for the members of the Lord's church, and all people for that matter, to understand... The cross was the vehicle by which Christ shed His blood. Christ's blood was the currency by which He purchased the church. Acts 20, verse 28. Therefore, the church cannot have within it factions if it's going to be pleasing to God. Factions have been the very things that have divided the Lord's church from the very first time it was ever divided. I think 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is the first time that I, at least I can think of when the church has been described in the New Testament as having been divided. And we see these factions. Well, it never stopped in Corinth, did it? <clears throat> the, the Christian church movement came as a division in the Lord's church because people wanted to do things that were contrary to what the Bible taught. Those who are faithful stand up against that. Those who are unfaithful go off and create a new church. Well, hey, we don't want to be a part of some new church. I want to be a part of that church that's 2,000 years old, right? And it it usually starts with small divisions, and it grows into something great. I was uh, recently studying the beliefs of a congregation. I'd come across uh, a tract or a pamphlet, and I was studying the beliefs of... uh, that organization, they were claiming to be followers of the Bible, followers of Jesus. The problem was that very soon as I got into studying this tract, I saw some things that were very contrary to the Bible. And when I finished, they had a statement. Now, one of the problems that I found in this tract was the purpose of baptism. The purpose of baptism... Clear and certain is so our sins can be washed away. Acts 2.38, for the forgiveness of sin. Not because I've been saved already, so I can be saved. Baptism gives us a clear conscience and it saves us, 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism adds us to the Lord's church, Acts 2.47. Baptism puts us into the body of Christ, Galatians 3.26 and 27, but we have to have more than baptism. <clears throat> we don't think baptism is more important than faith. We don't believe baptism is more important than repentance. We do not believe it is more important than confession, but it is just as important. 
And of course, after we have obeyed the gospel and been added to the Lord's church, we have to remain faithful. Now, after I re, uh, finished reading this tract and what their beliefs were, there was a statement in the back of it, and that nailed it down for me as to why they were teaching things that were wrong. Here's the statement that was read that, that I read. It said, "This teaching position has been developed by the leadership of this particular denomination, with many revisions, many additions." In prayer, a starting place for our study was a sermon preached by this individual. You notice the problem as I noticed it? Where are they going to get their authorization? Where are they going to get the, the material from which they were to, quote, develop their doctrine? They certainly weren't going to the Bible, were they? They were changing and editing They were listening to someone else preach a sermon and evidently he wasn't using any scripture because they were teaching things foreign to the Bible. That's the whole problem, right? And they built a whole doctrine around some sermon that somebody preached who was teaching error. Isn't that sad? That's terribly sad. But instead of being divided in that sense... We are supposed to be united, aren't we? The world is divided into thousands of, of organizations, and that is not what God wants, each one holding different beliefs from the other. When the purpose of the cross uh, was brought into existence, the, the eternal purpose of God, Ephesians 3, verse 11, It was to unite everybody under Christ. That was the purpose. And it was fulfilled in the man, Christ Jesus. His blood was shed for only one church. His church. Not a multitude of churches. That doesn't mean we're never to look down on anybody. There are people in denominations who are very sincere in what they believe, but they're still incorrect and wrong. We need to be able to reach them. We need to be able to study with them. How far are we going to get if we start mocking someone for their beliefs? Nothing irritates me any more than to hear someone mocking someone who has a belief in Christ. I I, I can't tolerate that. I cannot tolerate it. It really bothers me. And that's not what God did. That's not what Jesus did. Paul didn't do it. Peter didn't do it. Now, Did Jesus call out the leadership of the Jewish religion because they were a bunch of hypocrites? Absolutely. But He didn't talk to to those who were trying to be faithful. Those who were wrong in some areas of their lives, He did not act ugly to them. He did not mock them. They caught a woman in the very act of adultery. Jesus rebuked her for her sin, told her not to sin any longer. He didn't care before the, the community and, and uh, embarrass her. You know, sometimes we have to withdraw fellowship. We look in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's never to uh, humiliate anyone. It's to get that person back. Any church that is not his church is counterfeit. And it's built upon ideals and principles foreign to what the Bible says. Jesus prayed this, John 17, beginning with verse 20. 
He said, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the word may be, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. How many things have the Father, the Word who became the Son, and the Spirit? How many things have they ever disagreed on? Not a one. Not a one. That's how they're one, isn't it? They're three different personalities. They're three different spirit people. But they're one in direction, they're one in purpose, and they're one in plan. They've never disagreed. We can gather up all the denominations in the world and they're all going to agree. You choose every organization in the world. I don't care who it is. The Lord's Church, some other denomination, you add them all together and they're all going to disagree on something. Now here's what we know for a fact. They can all be wrong or only one can be right. We need to consider that. Jesus also declared, Matthew fifteen thirteen, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. The purpose of the cross was for people to be united, to come together. That was one of the gifts. One of the gifts of the cross, it gave us a stipulation. It removed the old law, it renewed the covenant. It renewed a new covenant. It renewed the covenant in the form of a new covenant. It gave us sanctification. It's supposed to divide us from the world, but be united as people. And then finally, another gift, and the last one we're going to notice tonight, is the cross gave us the gift of salvation. I want us to think about the word cleave. The word cleave. That word means to impinge, that is to cling or adhere, figuratively to catch by pursuit, abide, fast, cleave, fast together, follow close, be joined, to keep, just like the husband and the wife are to cleave to each other, Genesis 2.24, the church is to cleave to Christ. Who are we to follow in this world? We're to follow the Lord. We're to follow Jesus. People can be wrong. People can be wrong. Now, we can follow those who are teaching what Christ taught. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Peter said that he's our example or our example. And if we're following him in the proper way, then we can be examples to other people. We're to follow Christ. We're to cleave to him. The cross on on which Jesus was murdered is tied inseparably to the church he built. We're not worshiping a cross, but we are worshiping the man who died on the cross. Without the cross, he wouldn't have died. He wouldn't have shed his blood. He would not have fulfilled prophecy. And so we honor the idea of the man who died on the cross. And so it's connected inseparably. Paul said this, Colossians 1 beginning verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of his cross... By Him to reconcile all things unto Himself by Him, I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and ye that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. The cross gave me a salvation. 
that I can't receive any other way. Notice what the cross did. In the beginning, the cross was to bring the lost sheep of Israel back to God. And we see that in Acts chapter 2. But Peter made a statement in Acts chapter 2 after he gave what we're so familiar with, verse 38, Repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He said, And the promise is to you, and all those who are far off. The promise was also to the Gentile. That's who the far off is. And thankfully for us, that promise was granted. And that promise goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 11. The one given to Abraham that all families of the earth will be blessed through him. So we see that in the very beginning, <clears throat> the promise reconciled the Jew back to God, and it was given also to those who were far off. And we don't see that happen until Acts chapter 10 and 11. And so as it still began to develop and the church began to spread, not only was it to reconcile the Jew back, now we're seeing when he's writing to these Gentile congregations that the cross also made those who were at one time alienated from God through wicked works able to come back to Him. So that's a wonderful thing, isn't it? I'm thankful that Christ died on the cross so we can be reconciled to God. I'm thankful for the blood shed on the cross so when I make a mistake in this life, the blood of Jesus can continually cleanse me as I walk in the light, 1 John 1 verse 7. The gift of the cross, there are so many, would never be able to talk about all of them. Paul said, Ephesians 1, 22-23, that Jesus was the head over all things to the church, which is His body. That's where we gain our salvation. Does the church save us? The church doesn't save us. Christ saves us. But if you're not in the church, you're not saved. Because that's where we, that's how we are saved through the exact same process that adds us to the church. It is simultaneous. Jesus said himself that all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. Acts 28 verse 18. And when Peter was preaching the Pentecost sermon, Notice Acts 2.36. He said, God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So, what's the gift? The salvation. Well, we're to cleave to Jesus. That's one gift of the salvation. And the other one is that the cross was that on which Jesus was crucified. And we just sang a song. We have to crucify the old man of sin ourselves daily. We each have a cross we have to bear. And we need to do it the way God told us to do it. We sing a song, the way of the cross leads home, right? And it does, doesn't it? The way of the cross leads home. Paul said, Galatians 2 verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul said Christ was crucified for me, therefore I must be crucified for Him. Now was he talking about a literal crucifixion? We don't have to be crucified on a cross, but we figuratively have to use our cross to crucify the old man of sin if we're going to get to heaven. He explained that when he talked to those in Rome, Romans 6, 1-7. When they were thinking the more they sinned, the better off they would be. The more 
the more grace they would, would receive. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we sin more so we might receive more grace? Of course, I'm paraphrasing that. But that's the sentiment. <clears throat> he said, God forbid. Know you not that as many of us as were baptized into His death were baptized into His body? We're baptized into Christ. We put to death the old man of sin. When we rise up out of that water, He said, we're walking a new life. We're not going to carry on in this life like we did prior to becoming Christians. We change the way we are. We use that cross and we, we crucify the old man of sin. We're to crucify that sinful part that we carry around with us, that, that the temptation of this world, that part of us that wants to give in to those temptations. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 24, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That is the way of the cross. We die to sin. We do that through faith and repentance, confession that Jesus is the Son of God, immersion in water, so that our sins can be washed away, and then we walk in that new life, being faithful to God as long as we shall live. However long that is. We might leave this world earlier than we plan. I think most of us do, don't we? I think that no one leaves this world expecting it right now, normally. But that's what happens. So we have to be ready. There's no other way to the eternal home except by His plan. Christ said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. John 14, verse 6. As I understand what the cross gave me, I better understand the gifts of the cross. Do you need to be reminded this day of the gifts of the cross? Consider that as we stand and as we sing.